Hey guys, welcome to Three Point Landing. I'm Matthew. With me today again, as always, is Misha. And we're here to talk about Star Wars video games. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order just came out, the hugely anticipated single-player video game from Electronic Arts, and we haven't had a chance to play it, but we thought today would be a good opportunity to revisit the wild, wacky, and wonderful world of Star Wars video games. Wild and wacky is right. I think they've made games in every single genre, even invented a couple for just for Star Wars. <laughs> For me, what, um, what I really liked about Star Wars video games was, for the longest time, that was the only way that you could get into the movie. Um, in the absence of home video or maybe you didn't have access to it, back in the day, this was the easiest way, besides you know action figures and all that, that you could relive moments from the trilogy. And in fact, the earliest video games were literally, literally just like reenactments of single scenes. Like um, on the Atari, there was The Empire Strikes Back that was dedicated almost exclusively to um, the Battle for the Battle of Hoth from oh. The Empire Strikes Back. And for the longest time, that's what we had. Just these, these simple, simple recreations of iconic moments from the Star Wars movies. And for a time, that was enough. Yeah, I mean, most of us were happy because, like you put it, there's a great dearth of like big deal Star Wars content ranging from 1983 to 1999 when the first right, prequel came right. out, and and you know, reliving reliving Star Wars moments was the best was the next best thing. Right, and I think you know the Atari experience is fun, but for me, like the one that really raised the bar is the that Star Wars arcade game where you relive the Death Star crash right, right, in all its wireframe glory. In its all, yeah, wireframe <laughs> stuff. You know, I actually really, really love that one. It just feels so immersive, even though the graphics aren't that absolutely, you know, great. and I it mean, still is immersive. I think as late as the early '90s, or oh, sorry, as late as the late '90s, early 2000s, they had one of those standing in Ayala Town Center. No kidding. I thought that was a different one. Wasn't that Star Wars Arcade? Hmm. No, no, wait. Fine, fine. It was also called Star Wars Arcade, but this one had a more narrative thing, had a more narrative feel. They had that later. They had that later. Ah, okay, okay. Right, because the one you're talking about was exclusively the Death Star run. Yeah, right. With Wall, so you could fly an X-wing, and you know, everything's everything's made out of like thin yellow pixel lines and all that stuff. Right, and for um for what it was, it was a great experience. I mean, they were still releasing iterations of that on um as recently as the mid '90s. I think. I think the same. Sega CD had its own version, for heaven's sake, um, considering it was like over 10 years old at that point. Mm-mm. But do you remember what your first Star Wars video game was? Because um, for all their inherent value, the Star Wars arcade game and the um, the Atari stuff was a little before my time. I mean, I know you're super old, but... Well, you know, what was your first Star Wars game? Well, I guess when I bring up the Star Wars Death Star Trench Run arcade style game, I guess it speaks to something that is inherent in what I look for in Star Wars games, which is pew 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 spaceship <laughs> combat, and that's why I think my first like real deal like double down Star Wars video game experience would have to be X Wing. Like uh, that's the one that was for the for the PC it was, or and other personal computers. It was a flight simulator where you played a role of a X Wing pilot in a Rebel Alliance. Yeah. Uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, like that was uh that was an interesting game because you know it, it it was very challenging. Like it was, it was fighting like lots and lots and lots of Imperial starfighters, and the game was very strict with the way it scored you. Every time you fired a laser bolt and it missed, 
you lost one point to your score. Oh, I remember that. But if you hit, you score three points. Mm-hmm. So you were only allowed to miss three times Absolutely. for every like you know one shot that you landed properly. And um, the reason the flight mechanics of this game were so good was they was it was done by the same guy who did the secret weapons of the Luftwaffe for LucasArts prior to that. That was the one where you were playing as experimental German fighters in uh, against experimental German fighters in World War Two, if I'm not mistaken. Were the who were experimental there? The Germans, the fighters, or the pilots? I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, something that a lot of people don't know, or maybe you have to be a certain age to remember it, was that um, one of the things that George Lucas put money into back in the day was LucasArts. And they became famous for putting together a lot of some of my personal favorite video game and computer game memories, not the least of which was um, the aforementioned Mm X-Wing. They also became famous for doing a whole bunch of adventure games like the Monkey Island series or Loom or Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, but we can discuss those another day. Yeah, I mean, George George Lucas, or as I like to call him, the notorious GL, was very forward-thinking and progressive in terms Mm -hmm. of entertainment. So not only is he famously known for putting a lot of money and investment into his special effects houses. Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, yeah, and film production techniques and archiving Mm -hmm. and like all of that stuff. He was a big believer in the power of interactive entertainment, even when it was at its most rudimentary stages. Absolutely, because the late 70s, there was an arcade boom. It wasn't until 82 that they kind of died yeah. video game the video game crash yeah um, that's right and if I recall correctly and this might be apocryphal so d- go so, for it so nobody go on the internet comments and be telling me like oh facts prove you're wrong because I might be wrong hmm. but George had an eye towards adapting his imagination his ideas towards interactive forms no kidding and to do that the technology needed to evolve. Okay. And so he knew that he knew that by investing in LucasArts entertainment and allowing them to create their own original IPs, they could take risks, technical and technological risks, with stuff that wasn't necessarily his creation, and at the same time create new IPs that could possibly be developed further into the film world. One of the great examples of that was uh, Dig, a graphic adventure game that's not Star Wars related, but was really seen as a project that Steven Spielberg, his friend Steven Spielberg would collaborate and make into a film while they're making into a video game. Now, mm-hmm. the results of that are kind of like debatable, mixed, you know, but the fact is, is that George believed in technology and believed in entertainment in all of its forms. I don't think it's apocryphal. I mean, I think that's very, it's a very, very plausible scenario because let's not forget, George is also one of the first people who put serious money behind computer-generated imagery, Mm -hmm. behind CGI. And um, his CGI department actually ended up being split off because they wanted to concentrate on narrative techniques while he wanted to concentrate on special effects, CGI as special effects. Now, that narrative CGI uh, company that he spun off and sold, he gave it to Steve Jobs. And you may know this company now as Pixar. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, George owned that at some point. Yeah, I had I had the dim awareness of this, but mm-hmm. the, the, the complete facts of it were not like mm-hmm. at the top most of my mind. But yeah, that seems legit. Pixar, all that stuff, and you know, video game technology did in fact get better, as you know, we all know now in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. And uh, in recent years, EA has been EA and other companies have been trying to really 
bring back Star Wars into. Mm-hmm. Well, what um my one of my my earliest Star Wars video game memory actually was, and I, I think I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this was Rebel Assault. I don't know if you remember this or if anyone out there listening remembers it. Please drop us a line. I loved Rebel Assault. It was this rail-based shooter um, that took you through basically the greatest hits of the original trilogy. <laughs> okay, so you fly through the through Beggars Canyon on Tatooine. You fly in the Battle of Hoth against the ATAT Walkers. You fly the Death Star run. You face off against star destroyers and for me seeing this world in a fully digitized um, environment at the grand resolution of 640 by 480 was like actually stepping into the movies which up to that point had never quite been accomplished because the graphics on the atari were primitive Mm -hmm. and i wasn't born yet the graphics (laughs) (laughs) i know you were but i know the graphics on star wars arcade you know they were basic wireframe wireframes you had to use your imagination to fill in the gaps but here finally in all its pixely glory you could actually be a part of that universe with Luke and Han and Leia and all. And they that. used they used they used uh, Rebel Assault was also interesting because it's one of the first game, one of the many games in that era of that were made with full motion video, which is to say they were made from film, they were made from right, video. Right. Um, but the first one basically just recycled a lot of it from right. from the original films. It was part two where they went all in, where they shot all new footage and. This was around 94, 95. It was the first new original Star Wars footage shot since the ending of Return of the Jedi. They were using the costumes from the original trilogy. They, they, they basically, you know, like, so Rebel Assault 1 recycled footage. Number 2, Rebel Assault 2 brought the props out of the mothball room or right. whatever. You know, like, they dusted everything off just to shoot new Star Wars content. And that was super cool. I actually really enjoyed Rebel Assault 2. I haven't replayed it since, so I don't know how well the story holds up but I remember being all like oh what is this new TIE fighter oh yeah that's cool and like I think they even made an all original bad guy who you know uh, I think some people said that he was going to be in the movies or something like that but yeah uh, Rebel Assault 2 was good fun you know what I would love to do I would love to play Rebel Assault 2 again just to see how it holds up maybe you should I mean I have very many good memories with that stuff that's actually the reason that my brother and I we ended up buying our first joystick for our PC back in the day (laughs) because controlling that thing with a mouse was just you know that 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 was just a chore in and of itself it's funny you mentioned I mean it's it's good sorry not even funny it's good that you mentioned X-Wing because um, I remember the sequel to that was TIE Fighter and that was for my money even more brilliant. Yeah, I, you know, first of all, like Tie Fighter, hands down, technologically and gameplay wise, is just better than X Wing. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, like mm-hmm. I'm a goody two shoes who loves flying for the Rebel Alliance, but, right? You know, I shall concede the technological superiority of the Empire. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it just had better gameplay mechanics and a better story overall. Yeah, yeah, it did, it did, and like you said, it was unique because it presented it presented the game's world from the perspective of the bad guy. Right, now, right. You're not really a bad guy per se. You're not like <laughs> flying around shooting X wings and twirling right, right. twirling your mustache. No, you're you're helping like the day to day stuff of the Empire. Yeah, you're it, keeping it, the. You're keeping the Outer Rim planets in line while, you know, your bosses are doing the more important things like chasing Jedi. You're merely a loyal servant in keeping the peace. You're a minion. Yeah, and you don't and you don't know any better, you Mm -hmm. know. And and what what's cool is there is an opportunity in the game to 
ascend. Absolutely. Uh, if you if you did well enough in the game, the game would uh, invite you to join the emperor's inner circle and mm-hmm. become a hand of the emperor or a servant of the emperor. Like Mara Jade? Exactly like Mara Jade. Of Actually, the now non-existent extended universe? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I believe Mara Jade is the one who's called the emperor's hand. Right. And, and then she married Luke Skywalker. So what does she do with that <laughs> emperor's hand? That's what I want to know. Oh, silence. Uh, w- well, 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 that took a turn. I, um, f- phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> it's none of my business what she does with those emperor Tyler, hands. Tyler, your sex tape or something. <laughs> okay, moving on. No, 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 no. But yeah, so you could, you in TIE Fighter, you could uh, become part of that same order that if you did well enough, you would be tasked by the emperor to accomplish secret objectives. And it was funny because sometimes you'd be like, all right. You need to take down the rebels, and right, the, and, right. the, and the the emperor would say, "You must let two of the rebels escape on purpose." <laughs> <laughs> and your superiors would be like, "What?" And yeah, so and if you did well enough, you became the emperor's hand. You became the same. You took on the same role that Marjay took on in the in the expanded universe. That actually sounds pretty cool. I have to admit, though, something that I was not able to play at the time or since because I was never. Um, was what came after that X-Wing versus TIE Fighter I remember being so excited for it it had the Millennium Falcon and all the promo materials I thought I'm finally gonna get a shot at that ship and my PC could not run it at the time well, there's also the fact that it required you to have a 56k modem or something like that. You needed good internet. You needed good internet, and you needed an or you needed a LAN. And most of us here in the developing world don't exactly have eight computers sitting around. Wait, why? Why do you need that for? There wasn't there a single player mode? There's a, a story mode. Oh, campaign. Well, yes, but it was very rudimentary. It was right. very short. Okay, it wasn't really worth the sixty dollars to get the whole game on. I hmm, see. That sounds familiar. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> awkward. Awkward. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if you really want to get the maximum value or the full experience of X Wing versus Tie Fighter, you want to play it with friends right. or, or enemies, right? Right. And you know, nothing brings people together like shooting each other in the face. Yeah. Phrasing. Phrasing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, something um, that I really liked at the time, I think I enjoyed it more for the experience of it than the actual execution was, I think it was around 96, um, there was a project called Shadows of the Empire. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> now, yeah, okay, enough with the ominous laughter. But the thing about Shadows of the Empire was it was a full multimedia campaign. It had everything. It had video games. It had toys. It had comic books. It had, you know, Action figures, little vehicle, die-cast vehicles, stickers, mis- coloring a- books, you name it. It had everything. Everything except an actual Star Wars movie behind it. But yeah. that was because um, the powers that be at Lucasfilm and Hasbro, they wanted to see, they wanted to test the waters if there was still a market for new Star Wars content. Let's not forget, this is 1996, okay? Can it- you make the Star Wars experience happen without the movie is basically right. the big question mark on this whole premise. Right. At this point, an entire generation had only experienced this film, this trilogy on on, on, on video or on TV. Yeah, on videotape or on cable or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or on, you know, ABS CBN as the case may be with on commercials the, every 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, on, on million dollar movies as they call it <laughs> on ABS CBN. <laughs> so like deep cut guys. Yeah. Um they in this is 1996. So they were they were a year away from the re-release of the original trilogy in cinemas as a special edition. And this was 
four or five years removed from Timothy Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire um, literary trilogy, which re, which brought Star Wars back to the forefront of pop culture as far as uh, marketing is concerned. Yeah, because it was a dead property after Return of the Jedi. They tried following it up with a couple of animated series about Ewoks and droids. Those didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, and. Um, I mean, it's not dead property. I okay, argue, fine. But it was a nostalgic not, property at that point. Yeah. It wasn't an active one. It it was no longer the level of being mass culture. Right, right. It was something that you showed your kids. Yeah. Okay, but it wasn't something that kids, um, you know, automatically embraced per se. Yeah. So this was a big deal. They were bringing it back in a big way without the benefit of a major motion picture. And if you look at it, the different components. It's funny how they worked this out. The toys, the comics, the video games. They all told different aspects of the same story, mm. right? So the N sixty four game, you follow Dash Rendar, the hero who is the most nineties version of Han Solo you could possibly imagine. He's got the shoulder pads. He's yep. got the thick boots, mm-hmm. the, the 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 sort of like padded vest and all that stuff. <laughs> and you know, like I I call him. What if Rob Liefeld, you know, designed Michael Bean? (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly what he looks like. It's like they needed somebody like Han Solo. But at this point of the storyline, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, right? Yeah. Um, The story of Shadows of the Empire is set between episodes five and six. So Luke, Leia, the droids, Chewie, they're all there. Everyone's there except for Han. This is basically what happens in the couple of years before they storm Jabba's palace. If I recall correctly, Dash renders like... In all his adventures that that sprawl across the different elements of the Shadows of the Empire Initiative, he is the one who kind of like helps Leia and the gang like track down Han, right? Right, right. Or He's the least, one who who identifies where Boba Fett went and yeah. um, what route he's taking to get to Tatooine. Yeah, and and, ch- and chase him down, which is which is very much in line with another video game character, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. I promise, we'll get there. Yeah. In fact, we might have jumped ahead a little bit, <laughs> but the thing about Shadows of the Empire was it didn't so. I mean, it was successful by any any stretch of the imagination, by any definition, it was successful. It moved product. It, it did. sold games. Absolutely. Know. What it didn't do was give. An original gaming experience. It was kind of lackluster. And in fact, if it wasn't called Star Wars, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much if it didn't have the, yeah. that iconic music and those sound effects behind it. Because let's face it, Dash Rendar is not that interesting a guy. Yeah, he's not. He's not. And honestly, also, I just want to say, like, people like to complain about how, you know, disappointing or underwhelming some video games are today. But we live in a time where video games are a lot better than they used to be. And, and, Games like Shadows of the Empire sort of like straddle the line between being shovelware. Right. You know, like they had some good action sequences maybe, but they wouldn't be the top tier in their, in their class. But we could literally do a whole episode about shitty what? video game adaptations yeah, of, yeah. of movies and TV it's, shows. It, at best, the best place I've heard for Shadows of the Empire is like, oh, that's pretty good for a licensed game. Exactly. <laughs> These days, most licensed games go straight to mobile because, you know, they already know that, you know, people know that licensed games are kind of crappy. For the most part, okay. Um, what back to what you were mentioning earlier about another Dash Rendar type character? Except this one turned out a lot more successful for my money. Yeah, yeah. So I was joke. I was I was cr- cracking wise about how Dash Rendar helped them get to Han Solo. So he sort of, he's sort of had that space where he was trying to fill out right. a, 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 a a gap in the story. He even had his own fake Millennium Falcon. Uh, what was it called? The Outrider. 
I hate that I know yeah, that. that. that I name, really hate that I know that. That name sounds awful, but also like I'm sure somebody thought it was really cool back that, in the day. Probably while they were yeah. drinking their Mountain Dew and <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, changing the discs on their disc man. <laughs> <laughs> discs they tried to legitimize the Outrider. It is in the CGI background of Tatooine in the special edition of A New Hope. It is taking off just as Luke and Ben and the droids arrive in Mos Eisley. Did it explode on the way up? No, but I also that's hate what that I, I hate that I know that also. That's what should have happened. It should have flown out. And then you see a, <laughs> like a, a, a big kablooey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no, but, similar know, to how um, the ghost from Rebels is visible in the new Rise of Skywalker trailer. Oh, it's there? It is there. It's the right I was too busy crying watching the trailer to see it. <laughs> <laughs> we will cover that in a future episode. Hopefully, Matthew can keep it together. <laughs> Okay, so that was in 1996. Let's go back a little bit. 1994, LucasArts releases their first ever first-person shooter set in the Star Wars universe. Star Wars Dark Forces. Mm-hmm. Arguably, like, the, the worst way to describe it is it's a Doom clone. But, ah. it's, but, it's, but it's more than a Doom clone. It's a pretty cool game. And it introduces you to the character of Kyle Katarn. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. Yeah, also sweet name. I also Kyle. love alliterative names. Yeah, right? <laughs> Peter Parker, Kyle Katarn. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Katarn is the mercenary who is supposedly responsible for handing the Death Star plans to the Rebel Alliance. Sorry, Rogue uh, One fans, but this is how it was before, before Disney bought the property. Yeah. Okay? It was Kyle Katarn who helped out by stealing those plans. Yeah, he helped he helped them out by stealing those plans and you know, he goes on to another into a, the rest of those in the rest of dark forces, he goes on to discover a secret project of dark troopers. Right, right. Which is basically stormtroopers but like super like awesome and super Aren't they like buff. clones. I think they're more like they have mechanized suits that are just more powerful than the regular stormtroopers. I can't remember if they were clones or robots. It's questionable because you can change to armor. You can give them right. better guns. They still but can't it, shoot for but shit. But if they still can't aim, <laughs> they can't then you have not solved the core problem. <laughs> Absolutely. So they were just bigger, tougher stormtroopers. Yeah. Okay. So what made Kyle Katarn's story kind of cool was he did not stay static as the series went on because they made a sequel to Dark Forces. And yeah. That one was called uh, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight. Which was awesome. So this time, it's a, it's a 3D game. It was called a quake killer <laughs> but actually it was very unique because not only were you going running around first person shooting pew pew all around but eventually you'd get access to force powers and lightsabers and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know all that Jedi jazz so right. you know it really merged the fantasy of you know first person action in Star Wars with third person lightsaber combat all in the same package it's peanut butter and chocolate together absolutely it was fantastic because for the first time you were able to wield a lightsaber from your own point of view if we were talking Talking about how much fun it was that the video games could put you into the Star Wars universe, one of the things that everybody has always wanted to do was swing a lightsaber. And with Jedi Knight, uh, with Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight, people finally got to live out that fantasy. And that was something that LucasArts took note of, and they even continued it um, beyond that. Because the next sequel wasn't even called Dark Forces 3, it was called Jedi Knight 2. 
Yeah, it was called Jedi Knight 2, <laughs> which means that Jedi Knight 2, a.k.a. Jedi Outcast, has the unfortunate distinction of having a complete name known as Star Wars Dark Forces 3 Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. <laughs> which I am now playing on my Switch. Oh, cool. I've been playing it for the last two months. Um, It went on sale at some point. Isn't the sequel also there, Jedi, Jedi Academy? That's coming soon. And they promised there's going to be multiplayer play. But the cool thing about playing Jedi Outcast... Uh, oh, God, I got to say the whole name. Dark Forces 3, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. No, you can just say Jedi Outcast. <laughs> come on, come on. Okay, the cool thing about Jedi Outcast, even back then, was that once you get past the clunky first-person shooting stages, which just takes out about the first third of the game, because at this point, Kal Katarn has turned away from the ways of the Jedi, kind of like Luke in that last movie, mm-hmm. because he's he wants nothing to do with it. He's like, you know, I didn't grow up in this world. It's brought me nothing but trouble. I want nothing to do with this. Yeah, because he was, he was happy Han soloing around, being, yeah. all a, you know, being all a mercenary before mm-hmm. he discovered mm-hmm. you know, the force within. And that's actually what I think made him likable as compared to somebody like Dash Rendar. In the, because Kyle Katarn was not perfect. Mm-mm. He was an imperfect character just trying to make his way in the world. It's not his fault he's force sensitive. It's not his fault that yeah. you know bad things happen to he him. Wanted to, he wanted to reject the force, but so many times circumstances brought him back yeah. to it. Just when he yeah. thought he was out, he, he pulls yeah. him back in, basically. I was, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna do the Al Pacino. You're gonna do the Pacino? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so once you, so going back to Jedi Outcast, once you get past the awkward first third, that lightsaber comes into play again. But unlike Jedi Knight Two, here now you have a third person mode. Was that in Jedi Knight? Oh wait, sorry. Unlike in Dark Forces Two, you have a third person mode now which makes the lightsaber combat a lot more fun because I think they changed developers at this point it was uh, Raven right it was Raven software that's right right no you're you're, you're 100% right woohoo uh, you know I almost, I almost stood on my 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 video gamer nerd high horse but I was like <laughs> no Misha's 100% correct shut up Matthew <laughs> But yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, it's the coolest thing because and Raven Software is known for third-person action. They they created Heretic Two, uh, and they went on to do a lot of like uh, work for Activision. What I was gonna say is, I love Raven Software for um, their dismemberment mechanics in Soldier of Fortune. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Where you could literally shoot any body part off a guy, and, they and was would there dismem- is there dismemberment? In- there is dismemberment here in this game now, which is apparently not present in Fallen Order, the new Jedi game. Yikes! So I don't know about you guys, but I take joy in the small things, and <laughs> among the small things is slicing stormtroopers' heads I mean, off by I mean, flinging your lightsaber across a room. I mean, okay, let's be honest, you know. Personally, I'm not a sadist. I don't necessarily revel in graphic violence. However, I do believe that it is crucial to the lightsaber <laughs> experience to have some severed limbs. Episode 4, A New Hope, there is a severed limb in the cantina Yeah, very early on in the film. Yep. You got lightsabers, you know, you got to have some torn limbs. I think pretty much every single movie has somebody losing mm-hmm. a limb with from a lightsaber. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not asking for like fountains of blood here. We're not asking for Quentin Tarantino's Star nope, Wars, nope. although that's not entirely a bad idea. I would watch that. Yeah. But the thing is, now, okay, let's face reality. It's a it's a Disney it's a Disney product. It's a Disney property now. So I'm playing essentially what is a flashback game from 15 years ago that I never finished in the form of Jedi Outcast. 
and I'm having fun chopping up stormtroopers and, you know, sending their blaster bolts back at them and, you know, having fun with it. But Fallen Order uh, that just came out does not give that exact same experience, but I must say it looks amazing. It does look amazing. Uh, I think I'm disappointed that the character is just kind of a pasty white dude. (laughs) I mean, not that I have anything against, you know, uh, tough white bros in video games. I played a lot of them, you Mm -hmm. know, like, it's fine. It's just that, if there's going to be somebody who's going to be representing the Jedi Order, can it not be look, look like someone who's sort of like... You? Yeah. Could, it, could, it be, could we have could, a little more customizable customizability? Could we make this hero look more like us? That would be well, nice. Well, you got to, you know, I mean, you got to admit, their their planets don't really go that way. I mean, they got their rain planet. They got their winter planet. They got their coniferous forest planet they don't have an asian planet you know they don't have a black planet that's fair that's fair um, i mean i understand the importance of a pov character like what no arguments yeah but you know a little customizability would be nice to feel a little bit more inclusion in the star i wars agree universe. in fact that's something that goes back all the way that star wars video games have done since uh rebel assault in 92 or 93 yeah. in the first game you played a guy, one. a guy or a girl named Rookie One. It was only in Rebel Assault 2 where they were actually showing the character in action and the graphics were better and they shot new footage. They had to make it a dude all throughout. Yeah, they had to give him a, a face. Yes. And all of a sudden, Rookie One was a guy. Yeah. And, just, you know, basically casting yourself in the world is part of the Star Wars fantasy. And, you know, uh, that's why my, one of my favorite games in the Star Wars franchise is always going to be Knights of the Old Republic. Ooh, now, yeah, that's a good one. Knights of the Old Republic uh, recognized something that Jedi Knight knew, which is that part of the appeal of Star Wars isn't just... Chopping up the- stormtroopers? No, it's choice. Isn't just all about star- the, the 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 dressing. That was but- my next answer. Choice. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's not just part of the appeal to Star Wars experience is choice. Now remember, Kyle Katarn in Jedi Knight, he was able to choose the dark side if he wanted to. Right. Oh, that was a cool function of the game, yeah. and it would actually affect the outcome of the ending. And they actually filmed extra footage for yes, it too. You know, like yes, they, they, they did. They spent time in the studio filming. Mm-hmm. You know, bad Kyle. Right. So what made Knights of the Old Republic different from all the games that came before? Um, It was a role-playing game, first and foremost, which means uh, it was a story-driven experience that had you, you know, creating your own Star Wars hero and eventually discovering your Force powers Mm -hmm. and figuring out your place in the galaxy and also accumulating a whole cadre of you know, allies right, in, right. The, in, in the Star Wars universe. Now, it was set in the Old Republic, mm-hmm. which is basically a time period in the Star Wars universe that takes place several millennia before the movies. Right, right. It still has some of the same technologies because Star Wars is funny like that. But <laughs> it allowed the, the, the writers of the games to not conflict with canon. Absolutely. You know, By setting it a few thousand years before any of the movies, they could do whatever they wanted. Yeah, exactly. There's no like, well, uh, you, 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 the character can't go here because Darth Vader would have been doing this and that, all that stuff. Right. And what was great about Knights of the Old Republic wasn't just the, the Star Wars fantasy, but the choice, the ability to decide whether you were going to be good or bad and how that choice not only affected the story, which is, you know, pretty much what you'd like to see here, but it affected your appearance. Mm-hmm. It affected the powers you yep. got. If you chose to become 
a bad person, you would have access to bad powers and all that stuff. And you'd see your face corrupt. That was my favorite part about the game. Yep, that was Aesthetically cool. speaking, is seeing your character be a bad person and suddenly his skin turns more pale. See, and- I can get behind that whole corruption thing because it makes a whole lot more sense than getting hit by your own lightning and turning into a prune. Exactly. Because let's face it, guys. I mean, Luke took a whole lot of lightning from the Emperor and he did not turn into a prune. Exactly. And yet Palpatine getting hit by his own lightning bolts turned him into, you know, prune face. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like any good nerd, I can come up with any random ass way to explain away. Why did Palpatine get hit? Some people said he always looked like that. It's just that he lost control when he got into a fight. (laughs) He was hiding it this entire time that he was already disfigured. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Okay, sure. Whatever. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. But yes, Knights of the Old Republic has had a massive influence. And it drew a lot of material from uh, some of the comics, if I'm not mistaken. The the comics... uh, Or did the comics come after? I'm confused. I think they're kind of like concurrent. Like, there's a lot of stuff that was in... There were no Old Republic comics when when Old Republic came out. But it was drawing a lot of inspiration from... Uh, comics that were written at the same time. And then, ah, okay, and there then we go, there we go. Concurrent to it, that's when the Old Republic started, gotcha. comics started happening. Okay. And that stuff is actually super cool, which we can get into like some weird Star Wars lore deep dive episode. We can something. do that later on because I got to talk about that six foot rabbit. But anyways, <laughs> um, another game that I played and spent inordinate amounts of time on, but I admit it wasn't very good, was the episode one adaptation. That was kind of terrible. It was really terrible But an excellent episode 1 game That came out around the same time in 99 Was Racer That was fantastic It's based on the pod racing sequence from the movie And unfortunately Anakin does shout Yippee every now and then It's fine But at the time And I don't know now I haven't played it in 20 years at this point It was the fastest Bar none racing game that I had ever played, and it was amazing. Oh my god, like, really? Like, I love Star Wars Episode One Racer too. At the time that I played it, I hadn't seen the movie, I think, yeah, or yeah. I'm not sure what the th- timing is, but I remember just really loving that game so much because it was, like you said, so fast. Yep. Like, I know it seems weird to describe this because when you're talking about speed, it's all about the relationship between an object and the objects around it, but wow, you, 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 you dial that, get. You dial your pod racer yep. to 800 mm-hmm. you know, speed units or whatever, and it feels so incredibly fast. Even when you, all the more when you hit the boost button. Yeah. That was just ridiculous. That was pushing our prehistoric graphics cards to their absolute limit back in the day. And the joystick got some work too. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, oh my God. I, and I, I think it was also on N64. That's right. I remember, I remember it came out on N64 too, because I used to visit my friend's house and, you know, and, and and play against him and win and be like no fair you've been practicing <laughs> I'm like yeah on the PC <laughs> episode one and episode one racer were so graphically intense for the time that I literally had to play them in my dad's office before we got a new computer because <laughs> we had no way of running them they were just so graphically intense oh, can I tell you I I too have snuck into my dad's office and used his computer for a gaming computer <laughs> <laughs> very nice um, I don't remember any episode two video games. That's a weird thing. I don't know why, but I really can't for the life of me. But I do remember playing episode three on the PS2, and I will still stand by the fact that it's one of my favorite um licensed games ever. It get this. 
you're Anakin and you're Obi-Wan. You're fighting your way through the entire game, you know, maybe with a friend. You know, one of you can be Anakin, one of you can be Obi-Wan. And by the time you defeat the final boss, the final stage has the two of you going up against each other. And the ending of the, ga- uh, the, ending of the game changes depending on who wins the fight. If it's Obi-Wan who wins, you get the movie ending. But if Anakin wins, you get this entire alternate reality cutscene. Where scene. he becomes the emperor, basically. Basically, yeah. Because, come on. In the movie, Obi-Wan says, I have the high ground, as if that's the end of the discussion. Now, that would be fine if you were like regular mortals. But they, you guys are space wizards and you've been jumping all over and flying everywhere <laughs> for the past 20 minutes. There's no reason that Anakin couldn't have killed him. And that's exactly what this ending provides. If Anakin wins, Anakin kills Obi-Wan, the Emperor comes to congratulate him, he murders the Emperor, and everybody just falls in line for new Emperor Anakin. And, you know, that probably would have made a fun movie. But, you know, prequels, you got to stick to what's already been established. But it made for a fantastic ending to a game because I'd never seen that kind of an option before with established canon. Yeah, most of the movie games tended to go straight to console and were not like most, not many of them were available in the PC. And that's kind of like where my experience has been limited. But if I'm not mistaken, Knights of the Old Republic, that community went on for way longer than most people would have, um, would have expected. What do you mean? Like, uh, cause, well, okay, so after Knights of the Republic 1, I have to say though, you know, I don't want to double dip. Go ahead, <laughs> but, go ahead. But Knights of the Old Republic Part 2, two yeah. that to me was like the revelation. A lot of people are big fans of Knights of the Republic 1 because of the big twist in the game. And if I'm, I'm allowed to spoil it, right, guys? I'm allowed to spoil it. So at the end of Knights of the Old towards the end or the final act of KOTOR 1, as it's known, it is revealed that your player character was actually once upon a time a Dark Lord of the Sith. Which is like, oh my god! Bum, 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 bum. And it was such a big deal, heady twist. And you know that twist was so shocking. It's frequently listed as some of like the big deal twists in video gaming history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in that sense, Knights of the Old Republic deserves like a place in history of Star Wars and other video video games. So, what did Part Two do to live up to that? For me, Number Two lived up to that by uh, by being more by in a more subtle way. It's a sequel by Obsidian Entertainment, which is the same studio that did Fallout New Vegas, uh, the most recently released Outer Worlds, uh, you know, all like these heady RPGs. And what they did was they explored the Force. They explored like what the Force did to people, how people exercised it, yep, yep. you know, like the gray morality of all that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a very complex exploration of morality and the imposition of will, Jedi and Sith. Yep. So beautifully like complex. And that to me in the, now is becoming even more apparent in Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Like mm-hmm. those the films, movies, yeah, mean. in the films, they have a more controversial or complex understanding of how the Force works. And it's so neat to see now. If retro- you say midichlorians, I'm going to bash you in the face. No, no midichlorians here, man. No midichlorians <laughs> at all. But, you know, how The Last Jedi kind of, sorry, how Knights of the Republic 2 suggests many story elements right. that would become important in the, this new trilogy. Absolutely. And it's so weird because I'm pretty sure, I'm 100% sure that the people who wrote those did not like deliberately intend, well, 12 years from now, they will make something about this. I think it's interesting that um, after their success with Knights of the Old Republic, they went back to the well of the films, the mainstream films. The mm-hmm. episodes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. There was no episode 7 yet. They went back to the well and they came up with Battlefront. Can you please tell me what happened there? Because 
that was just a train wreck from any which way you look at it. Well, okay. Um, I know you hate it when I get into lengthy spiels here, but there are two kinds of Battlefront. Oh, right. Like, Fine. Like, We're not talking about the PS2. Yeah, but just like how there are two wolves inside of us, there are two kinds of Battlefront. Fine. Uh, to keep it short, there's a version of Battlefront. There's a series of Battlefront games that came out before that were multiplayer Star Wars experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What Misha's concerned about is the, the present. More, the more recent one. Yeah, which publisher, video game publisher Electronic Arts, which holds the exclusive rights to develop and produce Star Wars video games for Disney, has created... Yeah, why did they use the same name? Why couldn't they be called it something else? Exactly. They, they confusingly decided to just call it Star Wars Battlefront. You it's know, like the new Call of Duty is Modern Warfare all over again. Exactly. And that game um, does does most of the sim- has a similar idea. You play a character, a grunt in the large epic battles of Star Wars, whether it's like hundreds of stormtroopers versus hundreds of like you know rebel Ewoks. fighters or what, or Ewoks even, <laughs> uh, or your clone clone troopers versus the droid army. And when you fight and acquire you know enough points, you could unlock heroes and become. You know, you would you would you would respawn as Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader, of and that game was fine. But the problem was that there was expansion packs, which uh, last time we spoke about this, you, you, you told me that it divided the player base Absolutely. because some people would have access to certain levels or maps or characters, and others would not. And here's the rub: what causes that divide is money, basically money. Yeah. It's a culture of the haves and the have-nots. You, you, let's say you, let's say I plunked down a hundred twenty dollars worth of you know Star Wars Battlefront One content, and I want to play with my friends, but they can't join me, and I can't enjoy this content I paid for with them because they don't have access to it. You're not giving context. The money is for special items, characters, skins that you otherwise wouldn't be able to access. Mm-mm. So, yeah, damn right. It makes a big difference over who can afford to pay for that, who has the spending power to pay for, you know, fictitious weapons in a virtual space versus people who are just picking it up to have a good time. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of poverty shaming or casual shaming, it's like if if you have a friend, if you have a group of friends, the friend with the least amount of content is, is, is where you're going to stay in. Right. Because that's the only way to include him in all your games. Absolutely. You can't be like, hey, Mark, you're sitting this one out because you don't have the Dagobah map. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> poor Mark. But that's also what makes Fallen Order kind of interesting because with the very first um, launch trailer, uh, sorry, announcement trailer, they made it clear from the get-go that they would have no such... Um, monetary based reward system. There would be no microtransactions. Exactly, and that's direct. That's in direct response to the sequel, to Battlefront, helpfully named Battlefront Two, which ignited the controversy that that takes us to where we are today. Battlefront Two in 2017, uh, during its testing period, they had loot crates or loot boxes, uh, and which gave randomly generated rewards, and some of those rewards affected gameplay. So what would happen is is people who could uh, could afford to spend more or could afford to put down for more would have access to more power. It became, once again, uh, a split between the haves and the have-nots. Right, right. Exactly and, right. Exactly. It exacerbated it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it became a huge deal. It caused controversy by... It, it, it created controversy because now... Everybody from gamers to the gov- to the government 
started complaining about how video game companies are being exploitative and you know using gambling mechanics to encourage people to spend more money mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is factually true i mean you know you spend not just apparently some syndicates are using it to launder money yes oh my god we that's a whole other whole other conversation you'll do it next time mm. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but okay, for me, the reason I play Star Wars games is I like being placed into this fantasy situation that I fell in love with as a kid. Yeah. There's just something for a certain generation or a number of generations now. There's something primal about hearing that John Williams music, about hearing those Ben Burtt sound effects, about being able to control a lightsaber any which way that comes through whether you're playing on an ancient Atari or a Super Nintendo or a PlayStation or a PC and Xbox what have you a PlayStation and that is something that Fallen Order is knowingly walking into as an uh, that is something that Fallen Order has to cater to has to live up to because yeah. we've had so many horrible games I mean we've gone through a few of the good ones but there are so many more bad ones um, not the least of which was a fighting game that shall remain unnamed it's gonna remain unnamed <laughs> but you're gonna name it aren't you no I, see uh, see, I see I was being quiet you're gonna name it no, don't. Name you, it. Please I, don't. I, I, no, no. They named it in don't solo. Don't me. <laughs> they named it in solo. Let's leave it at that. It was a martial arts fighting game that's just terrible. This, this man, he's egging me on. It's even worse than the dancing game. No, I like the dancing game. Yeah, yeah. Where well, you're solo, Han Solo. I yeah, know. yeah. I love the dancing. Game. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. Speaking of what you said, like I am optimistic or excited for Star Wars: Fallen Order because you know, like you said. Uh, it promises to take us to a world that you know we love. It's supposed to be a, a 100% story experience. Mm-hmm. There's not not going to be any microtransactions mm-hmm. to divide uh, people and to encourage people to spend more. There hasn't even been an advertised season pass. Right, right. So we don't know yet um, if it's going to be any good or if yeah, it's gonna be, or if they're going to live up to their promise of giving a solid single player experience. Yeah. But for me, as much as I love being able to play multiplayer uh, modes and, you know, interact with other people, sometimes at the end of the day, when you go home, you just want to immerse yourself in something without having to consider the feelings or the conveniences (laughs) of your friends with regards to online play. So a good solid single player experience in in a Star Wars video game is something we haven't had in a long time. And I am genuinely looking forward to this one. Not to sound entitled, but I'd say we're due for it. We are overdue for it. We deserve it. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't mean we, like, like just you and yeah. me. I just mean yeah. like Star Wars fandom in general deserves like a good Star Wars video game that we they can all get behind. Because I think it, I think it really says something that over the last five, I don't want to say ten years, the best Star Wars video game that I have personally played is Lego. Lego Star Wars. That's right. Lego okay. Star Wars. I mean, say what you will about the cutesiness and the humor and the slapstick no, no, and all no. that. They're pretty solid games. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people stand by those games, and I, I understand why. I played quite a few of those as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? Star Wars has never been at its at its most like powerful, so to speak. You know, I mean, say what you will about the controversies of the films or the perceived commercial and critical disappointments that some of those films have received. The fact remains that Star Wars is now at the height of its true power as a brand. Matthew just turned into a wrinkly old white man. 
just just so you know. Yeah, it's at the height of its power. And what kind of world are we living in when one of the biggest pop culture universes uh, right now doesn't have an associated big deal video game? That's true. That's true. But if you want to get technical about it, I mean, the biggest pop cultural juggernaut at this point would be the MCU. And the Avengers still don't have a decent video game coming out. Well, we should talk about that <laughs> in the next episode. I guess we could. Of Three Point Landing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so we've been through a whole lot of Star Wars games. We want to know if you agree with us, don't agree with us. Tell us what some of your favorite titles are. And um, we will definitely check out Jedi Fallen Order in due time. Uh, and I'm going to give a free thumbs up to whoever names the Star Wars fighting game that Misha was talking about. Please no. This has been Three Point Landing. I'm Matthew. I'm Misha. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.